Jesus, we're in love with you. And we're grateful because you have seen us. We saw us before we knew you as enemies. But Father God, you've brought us in as sons and daughters. Father, may we never lose sight of it. May we never become so casual with how we operate towards you, with how we receive from you, with how we live in obedience to you, that remember where we came from. Thank you for your mercy upon us, Lord. Thank you for your grace upon our lives. Jesus, as we open your word today, I pray that you would remind me of what you've called me to do, what you've shown me through scripture, and help me to communicate it, Lord, in obedience to you. Lord Jesus, may you be glorified and honored above all things, and may this body here be presented more mature as a result. Father, remind us again of your everlasting love. Show us again, Lord Jesus, in the depths of our hearts what your mercy looks like, what your grace looks like applied to us. Father, thank you. Thank you for the public assembly, for the importance that you've put upon it. And so, Lord Jesus, as a means of grace, now we look to your word and we preach your word boldly to say, may you be glorified in your name. Amen. God is good all the time. Praise Jesus. I'm going to talk to you guys today about training grace. Stephen started a series last week on grace. And so there's different uh, ways and impossibilities of looking at grace. Grace is all-encompassing. Um, I've studied it a good bit. I've lived it a lot of bit. I've experienced it a whole lot. Praise Jesus. And I'm going to still confess to you that in my growth and my development in those things, I'm still wrapping my head around the immensity of what this word means and especially what it looks like applied. Um, because you look at grace as um, by grace you have been saved through faith. So there's this aspect of what we call saving grace. So the Lord saves us by his grace. And that's one, one facet of this massive doctrine, right? But then also we look and see throughout scripture, uh, Paul tells us, you know, he operates, he greets in grace, and he tells us to do things in grace. So there's also this enablement or this training grace. And so what I'm going to try to do in the best of my ability in a, in a simple way is break down grace a little bit and talk about what grace looks like in action or what I'm calling enabling or training grace today. So bear with me. i got three examples for you. Maybe examples that are close to home. Maybe things that I have experienced in my life. Maybe things that you guys could also say, ah, I could see myself in that. But imagine that you maybe have kids, maybe haven't had kids, but uh, um, are woken again with a screaming child. And maybe this is the sixth time of the evening, right? Maybe. And the child is screaming uncontrollably. And so you go to try to comfort the child in, in grace. You see, we as Christians use this word all the time. And I don't know if we're using it appropriately, and I don't know if we fully know the ramifications of all that it's saying. But I try in grace to go to my child, and my grace for my child lasts approximately 3.25 seconds. Because it's the sixth time of the evening. Oh, I said my. This is an example that I'm using that I've read about somewhere. Yeah, it was in a book, uh, Anonymous, quoted by Anonymous. Uh, so this author goes to their child for the sixth time of the evening and uh, in, just cannot, cannot calm the child down. Screaming, in pain, not having it, and not happy. 30 minutes later, we eventually get to the point, get to the problem, and really, the child just wanted some socks on. How would you guys handle that? Just 
just be real for a second here. The 30 minutes of screaming, the 30 minutes of crying for the sixth time of the evening, and all that they needed was a pair of socks. How do you handle that? <clears throat> My grace didn't work. I, I would love to stand in front of you as an elder of this church and to say I operated in grace and there was so much love and kindness and favor that I was, I was soft and gentle with my child and I held them in my arms and I slowly put socks upon their feet and kissed them on the cheek as they went back to sleep. And that would be a lie, right? That's not what happened. Okay, scenario number two. This author that I read about has a great neighbor. Single guy, fantastic individual, very friendly. Has never mowed his own grass. He hires a company to mow his grass, which I think is fantastic. He has the means to do that. That's great. Some of us aren't doing that. Some of us mow our own grasses, and that's cool too. Um, but the problem is I take a little more pride, I think, in, in what I mow and what I do because I'm out there doing it. Potentially, maybe. The author wasn't clear. And so um, the difficulty is when you hire a company, they don't care. It's efficiency, baby. The truck rolls down the street, the gate slams against the pavement in front of my house, and then zero turns come off. And you can hear it in every aspect of my home vibrating as the zero turn goes between our houses. And this is O'Fallon, where they, they actually have done scientific research to figure out how close they can get houses to be together. And it still be acceptable to call it a, a single family home and not a condominium. Yeah, and so the, it's going between our homes, and now my, my property is slanted, so you walk kind of like this between the homes because the, the zero turns too heavy. It's too big, but it's about time and efficiency. And the author was talking about how he handled it in grace with the ability to recognize the place that maybe this gentleman had in life. And to see that this is a company operating for their own benefit and money. I didn't handle it well, friends. It's me. I'm the author, okay? And it's another example. The Lord showed me and he gave me an opportunity. How do I operate towards my neighbor and towards this company that continually parks in front of my driveway to bring down their mud clodden tires and then to dent my stuff and then to, to ruin my landscaping? Didn't do great. Third example. I've had different recurring things in my life with my own health, with ailments and whatever else. Yes, I know you're too young to have those things. I received that, thank you. I still have them, okay? And so what does it look like uh, to be before the Lord for something that you want to be removed from your life that is a pain to you, maybe an insecurity to you, maybe is something in your, that you have cried out before him repeatedly for and still don't have an answer? How do you handle that? What kind of grace do you operate in daily before the Lord to say, you're my father. You've said all these promises to me in scripture. I know who I am, yet I don't hear you here. How do I operate in grace? And I'll confess, I didn't do well. I didn't do well. I told my father what I thought sometimes. And that's okay, but the attitude that I did it was not in grace. Three strikes. Maybe, maybe, in any of my examples, as I am vulnerable before you, you see yourself there as well. The Lord has instructed us that we are trained in grace to operate in a specific way. Yet life still happens. We are saved and, and being sanctified by Jesus Christ, yet we are not already there yet. 
We're still broken. We still deal with the effects of sin. We still feel the hardships upon our lives. You guys agree with that? I'm not the only one. Praise Jesus. And so today we're going to be talking about training grace. How the Lord trains and equips his people to be his agents in the world. So bear with me here. We're going to, we're going to look at Titus 2, 11 through 14. And then I'm going to bring us back to the basics before we go forward. So here's Titus 2, 11 through 14. Father, may you be glorified. Amen. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. This is, so I have 20 minutes, and this is an amazing, massive scripture with a lot of implications that reach back Old Testament, that also talk about the present that we have in Jesus Christ's redemption and the hope that we have in his second coming. So bear with me now. Like I said, it's going to be a simple way to talk about these things. This text is massive, and there's so much going on here. But the hope that I have for you today is, what does it look like to know the training grace of Jesus Christ given to you because of redemption, because of his atonement, the hope that we have, knowing that he's coming back and will refine all things? But then also, what does it look like to live in here and now, when things are broken still, when expectations are unmet, when you have problems in your family, maybe with your kids, maybe with your own attitudes, maybe with your own health, or maybe when things with your neighbors aren't the way you want them to be. What does the training grace of God look like applied to our lives in those situations? Here's the difference between saving grace and training grace. Christians should live this way because the grace of God that saves also instructs its recipients to live in a new way. One cannot truly claim to be a recipient of saving grace without also being a pupil or a student of training grace. This change in lifestyle is rooted in the atonement, that's verse 14, because of what Christ has done, all right? And the expectation of Christ's return, that's verse 13. He's coming again, and so we live in hope. We know something's coming. We, we know that there's transition. So because of our expectation, it pushes us in eagerness to be more and to do more, right? We're not just sliding by, trying to get by. Grace does not enable us just to get by. Grace does not enable us to test God and to do what we want to do, to rely on His grace to get the things that we want. Grace enables us to be His agents of redemption and restoration in the here and now. Because He's coming again. Because He has equipped us. Because He's called us. Because of His humiliation in His coming. He humbled Himself to be a man, right? And then His glorification as He returns again. So we, we know something that Christ has enabled us when he came. And he's propelled us towards his second coming to say, now be like me because I'm coming again. Make this place like me. So that's pretty powerful. Everybody say, grace is amazing. There's a really good song about that, actually. <laughs> Nobody? Nobody? It's amazing grace. Come on. All right. Just making sure we're on the same page. So what I'm going to do here, watch how relevant I am, Goodlit. When you get the twisties, you go back to the foam pit. 
Yeah, anybody? Olympics? Simone, she got the twisties? Bless her. Okay, what we're going to do is we're going to go back to the basics first to be able to recognize and see these things to move forward in the future. Not future, but in how the Lord is instructing us to live in that training grace now. Don't lose scope of where we're going. He's given us three things. It says, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. You have the ability in Jesus Christ to say no to sin and yes to righteousness. Everybody say no, no. to sin and yes, yes to righteousness. You have that ability. Sorry, Roy, I skipped, but I'll get there. You have that ability because of what Jesus has done and in, in what he's enabled us to do in his Holy Spirit. And so we're going to get to what this looks like to live what we call self-controlled, upright, and godly lives. But before we talk about these things, how are we saved? By grace. Ephesians tells us, for by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. boast. It's not about your ability to do something. It's solely upon what Christ has done. Right. That's what Paul is telling us here. He's writing this book to people as they're understanding the faith and coming to faith in him and knowing the unity of what it looks like to follow in Jesus Christ. Okay, then we have this gentleman named James, who seems to confuse maybe some new believers but he comes on the scene and he says, So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, You have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. All right, so is it contradictory or not? So, Mr. Roy, uh, I have a slide here for you. I want to do some math really quick. Is it right or wrong? Faith plus works equals salvation. Yell something out all together. Right or wrong? Who says right? Who says wrong? Right? Wrong. Okay. Faith plus works equals salvation. You see what's going on here scripturally speaking is you have Paul saying this is the way you're saved to new believers. This is how you come to the faith in Jesus Christ. You have James writing to an established church saying, you all know him. You are saved in him. As a result of your salvation, now prove it. Be a hearer and a doer of the word. Okay? Show me. Your root should bear fruit. Okay? But oftentimes, and this is what Steve was talking about last week, this transactional Western mindset says, I need to do something in order to get something else. So my works will give me my salvation after I believe, and then I do it, and I receive it. So then I feel like I have rooted myself in my works, but really that's not what the Bible is saying. Paul is clear throughout all of Scripture as well. Stephen showed us, did Abraham do anything? He was asleep when the transaction occurred, Right? Over and over throughout Scripture, we see it's the storyline of redemption. Jesus Christ, only God, has done the work. And it transforms hearts, transforms mind, and as a result, we have uh, salvation. So my next slide shows it this way. It's wrong. Faith plus works does not equal salvation. Right? Next slide, please. What it should look like is something like this. Faith is salvation plus works. Okay, bear with me. The Bible is not a math formula, right? It is dynamic. It's not linear. So this is just a means for us to be able to grab something. Remember, I'm going back to the foam pit, back to the basics. When you get the twisties, you get, <laughs> ah, 
I don't know about the twisties. I know about Twinkies. Okay. It's okay to laugh a little bit while we're talking about Jesus because he's about life. So faith is salvation plus works. What I want you to grasp and what I want you to see here is the reality of our life is that we're saved by grace. Grace is not just some abstract, massive doctrine that's just floating, and then we run into it sometimes and come out of it. It is actually the means by which we live every day. We wouldn't know the gospel outside of it. Okay, so by grace you have been saved through faith. That's Paul's writing. That's how you become a believer. Okay, and so it looks like, I, I don't like the word works there. We use it because the text uses it. Um, faith would be salvation, and it would, I would even do like an arrow. It would yield righteous living. Right, so the, pro, the product, the produce, if I'm a tree, if I'm an apple tree and I'm rooted down, I'm not going to produce oranges because I'm not an orange tree. I'm an apple tree. If I'm a follower of Jesus Christ and my roots go straight down into the Word of God and enabled by His Holy Spirit and I'm, I'm empowered by what He's done in me, the fruit that will come out will be righteousness, peace, joy, the, the fruit of the Spirit, the way that I serve, the way that I love, the, the engagement that I have in community for the glory of God. Okay? And so that's what we're talking about here is we've got to go back to the basics. And I'm doing this first because if we're going to talk about training grace, saving grace comes as saving grace produces the training grace. You can't have one without the other. In the same way, our faith is a result of the grace of God given to us. Right? And then we believe in Him and it produces for us salvation. And our salvation is also the representation of showing of how we've been saved, our faith is it yields good works. It yields righteous living. It yields fruit. Amen? Okay, that's pretty awesome. I like that. I agree with that. So then as we go forward, we're going to talk now about what this verse in particular looks like. What is grace? This is a brief description from Desiring God. I really liked it, and I think it helps. It says, The word grace in Paul's use not only refers to God's character trait or disposition or inclination to treat people better than we deserve, but the word grace also refers to the action or the power or the influence or the force of this disposition, which produces real practical outcomes in people's lives, like being sufficient for good works, for good deeds, enduring the thorn in the flesh, or working harder than everybody else, which Paul says about his own apostolic work. And so there's this idea of it, yes, being something given to us, an unmerited favor, un something undeserved, also the empowerment, the operating source by which God allows us to do things in this world. That's what I'm trying to get at here. So that's not to confuse you. I had to define some terms because as I talk about training grace, it's important. So here's what, here's what we see again, Titus 2.11. For the grace of God has appeared, and I, I made this little chart. If it's very confusing to you, I'll walk you through it. But hey, my mind's nuts anyway. It says, for the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation for all people. See my sweet arrow? Training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. So we're living for God in the present. Grace has trained us to do those things. Waiting for our blessed hope. This is, this is the future now, right? The appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. So you see that grace appeared, which brings salvation. 
And that enables us or it trains us to live now in the present for God's glory. Also to know the hope of what he's doing for future purposes. That we would then train to be like Christ in, in being redeemed and being purified and being zealous. That's pretty powerful stuff, man. Paul is a brilliant, brilliant individual. Holy cow. So here's what I have for you guys today. All that lesson on faith and grace and training to boil down to three principles that Paul writes very clearly for us. It says here specifically, <clears throat> training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled. Everybody say self-controlled. Self upright, upright. And please say godly. godly. Lives in the present age. Grace enables us to be able to do these things for the glory of God. Once again, because he has shown and revealed himself to us and we have an eager expectation of where he's bringing us in the future. Next slide, please, Roy. And so this is, this is the reality for us. We as believers and as image bearers and as redeemed, because he has, he has atoned for us and, and paid that price, have the ability to say no to sin and yes to righteousness. And what that looks like moving forward then are those three things. Living soberly, living upright or righteously, and then living godly. And so this is my, this is my closing. Those three categories are particularly to three different areas in life. Self, neighbors, and God. And so we live self-controlled lives in ourselves. When you're alone, who are you? When no one else is watching, how do you operate? When no one else is home, when you're alone in your cubicle at work, or when things don't happen the way you want, how do you respond to situations? Is it the same as if I was there? Is it the same as if your wife or your husband was there or a friend was there? Is it the same if you actually knew the presence of God standing in front of you watching? Because actually, you can't separate those things if you believe in Him. You're in union with Christ. So there's this idea now, soberly, to ourselves, who are you when no one is watching? We're supposed to keep mastery or restraint over our passions and our tendencies and not allow anger to boil over not allow sexual desires to be misplaced, not allow the root of, of evil or in monies to, to encapsulate our thinking that all we can think about is our provision for ourselves now and for future, rather than being a resource for the kingdom of God in the here and now. Who are you when no one is watching? One of my sons was playing in the room, and uh, we, we talked to him all the time about the actions they make, the things they do, whatever, whatever. And so I looked in the room, and I heard them. They were all laughing. And usually when there's a lot of laughing, something is off, which is sad it's that way, but it's true. Okay, so I walk in the room, and he's doing things that he shouldn't be doing, not only jumping off the couch, you know, like, like, not only jumping on the couch, we'll just say it that way, and then um, the things, but making, like, little gestures, which are not bad, but we just are trying to train him. You can't do those things at school. You can't do those things in front of people. They are not polite. And so, like, he likes to, like, tap his bottom and stuff like that, right? I'm too, it's Parenting 101. Went too far. My fault. <laughs> Kathy, I'm sorry. That's my bad. And so I, we said, hey, buddy, you can't do that. Would you be able to do that if I were in this room watching you? Would you have still done that? He says, no. So then you be the person that you are in front of me wherever you go. So I walk in the other room and, <laughs> Holy Spirit, yeah, David. Why can't you be the person that you are? I was like, golly, I felt the conviction of the Lord right then and there. As I parent my son, then, then the Lord gently nudges me. 
Am I the person that I am alone when I have time to kill, doing nothing, whatever that may look like for you? Uh, am I that same person in front of other people? Am I that same person before the Word of God? Am I that same person as I worship with you guys corporately here? What does it look like to live a sober or an upright or a sober life alone, self-controlled for the glory of God? Second thing is upright or living righteously. This, this really goes towards how you operate with others or your neighbor. Are we living righteously with those that we engage with on a daily basis? Do they see in us the glory of our king? Or do we just kind of slide in with the mold? Do you, do you give things without expectation, or are you expecting a transaction to occur? If I give something to someone else, they should, they should love me back in some specific way, financially, buy a gift. If I'm, if I'm going to buy this meal, then you buy that meal. And that's not a bad thing, but have you, have you based your relationships outside the church with just that networking capacity? Are you able to give unconditionally? Because the Lord says, uh, because the Lord has given to me without, without asking for that in return. So how do, you, how do you live uprightly or righteously to your neighbors? Justly and honorably, having due regard to our duty towards our neighbor and our word. Treating others as you would like to be treated in all relations that we sustain in life. Then the last thing is this, is living a godly life. Grace trains us to do these things. To live godly in everything that we do. Does God, do you serve God or does God serve you? Let me ask that question again. Because I know all of our our responses right away are, of course, yes, I serve God. But do you serve God, or does God serve you? Are you telling him to do things for you constantly? Or are you humbled before him with your eyes bowed down, your head not lifted too high, your hands open, to say, Lord, here I am. Use me. What is your life like remembering to live in the presence of the eternal constantly, being faithful to what the Lord has called us to do in his word and his deed? There's this example that I had growing up that I've really loved. Um, it's a Latin phrase called quorum Deo, and it means to live before the face of God. Um, and it literally refers to something that takes place in the presence of or before the face of God, is to live one's entire life in the presence of God under his authority and to his glory. So let me put it this way. As a fish is, is, um, relies upon water to live, so we rely upon the presence or the face of God. We can do nothing outside of it. And I think oftentimes we compartmentalize. Just in the busyness of life and what, what takes place, I'm doing this for work, I'm doing this for family, and I'm doing this for my spiritual life. This is for the Lord. When in, when in reality, it's one life presented before him to say, here you are, Father. I'm only alive because of your grace. And I only have these abilities because of your empowered spirit through me, your training grace that allows me to live soberly, to live righteously, and to live godly for your glory and honor. All in all or not at all, godliness must be uniform and universal. Soberly, that is much. Righteously, that is more. Godly, that is not most, but all. It's from a commentary I read that I think is really beautiful. As we close, I just have a simple question for you. Paul tells us here that the grace of God trains us to live soberly, to live righteously, and to live godly. How are you living? 
Are you living self-controlled? Are you living a righteous and godly life? Are you saying no to sin and yes to righteousness? Are you zealous for good works? Because of what Christ has done in you and the expectation that you have for a second coming, you want to present to Him all the best that you can. Or maybe we're just living from calendar alert to calendar alert. From hardship to hardship. Just trying to stay afloat. I'm living in anxiety. I'm living in depression. I'm consumed by negative self-identity. I don't fully know who I am, where I belong. I'm not content with my job. I got relational hardships on every aspect of my family life. I don't have close friends. I can't catch a break. My confession, and I think the confession of a lot of the church, is the latter. And what I want you to hear today pastorally is this. God's grace is sufficient. We're talking about these things because this is not a seminary class. We're talking about these things because this is everyday life with Jesus Christ before the face of God. If you're sad, if you're depressed, if you have broken relationships at every turn, if your marriage is struggling or just there's friction, if you're not content or happy with where you're placed vocationally or in your home or in your family life, whatever it may be, God's grace is sufficient. The word for today is that there's grace for that. I'm not asking you to be perfect. I'm not asking you to be Jesus Christ himself. You, you are with him. And that's the beauty of the gospel is that you don't have to be because there's already only one Savior. You're empowered by him daily and he equips you to do these things, to live soberly, to live righteously, to live godly, to honor him in all that you do. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this. Who said that? Paul. One of the greatest fathers of our faith had these same problems. Three times I came before him and I said this. Take it from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. 2 Corinthians 12, 9. Church family, the beauty is that Christ has done it all. And I just want to remind you that God's grace is sufficient. If you're feeling down, if you're feeling sad, if you're feeling depressed, let's not stay there. God's grace is saved us for something greater and is training us to be like Christ everywhere we go. And so let's not stay in that state. Let's recognize we're there and then together move from it. But when we are there, grace is sufficient and it trains us, it builds us, it guides us, it pulls us little by little, moment by moment, every opportunity by every opportunity to be more like Christ and to see his glory here on earth as it is in heaven. So we're going to end the meeting now, but I don't want an opportunity to pass us. I'm going to stay up here. I would love to stand with you as the church in the early church did by laying hands on you and by asking the Lord that he would make his grace sufficient for you. I cannot reverse things. I cannot change things. I don't have that ability. It doesn't always work. It didn't for Paul here. But what did happen is this massive profession of faith to say, therefore, I will boast all the more in my weaknesses. But I do want you to recognize he's equipped you 
to say no to sin, bad attitudes and thoughts, to say yes to righteousness and glorifying God and godly living every day, and to know that you can live a sober, a righteous or upright, and a godly life every day before the face of God. So please don't miss this opportunity today. It's not an embarrassment. It's an empowerment. Please come and pray with me. I'm going to pray to close us all, and then uh, we'll be dismissed. But if you would love prayer, please come and visit with me. Jesus Christ, we yield before you today. Confessing, Lord Jesus, that calendar alerts, that the events of life are so consuming and so busy. But Lord, you are so much greater than those things. Forgive us for maybe prioritizing at times those things over you. Other relationships over our relationship with you. And so, Father, we recalibrate today to say thank you that your grace has trained us, has equipped us to live soberly, to recognize that we're living for you even when we're alone, to live righteously, that we would honor and respect those that you've put around us as neighbors, that we would show them your glory, and to live a godly life knowing that we serve you all the time in every circumstance. Help us, Lord Jesus to see your grace as sufficient. Thank you for not leaving us or forsaking us, but thank you for enabling and empowering us with your word, your spirit, and with your grace, Father. We love you, we thank you, and we dedicate this week to you that we would honor you in it in your name. Amen.